I've got a couple of prophetic words that I felt when I, on my way here today. Is that okay before I get into the word? I have so much to say, so I'm going to have to go full pelt or I'm going to run out of time. Jackie, you walked into the prayer meeting before the service. I actually didn't know what you did until you got up here and I went, oh, that's awesome. I felt like there's a prophetic edge to who you are as a person. And then when you got up here, I went, oh, she sings too. And there was a prophetic edge over your voice. But I feel like it's for you, not just on the stage. There's something that happens when you speak, as you live, how you live. Be careful not to allow the enemy to use your words to pull down because your words are powerful. You have a prophetic ability to break things down or even tear things down. But, and it's not a warning. There's this, it's just a word of encouragement. There's something over your life, but it's not just the stage. It's who you are as a person. Pursue God so that even when you get on stage, there's stuff that can happen for them on their behalf that's happened in your own life. And I just feel like God just wants to encourage you. Keep doing what you're doing, but really get close to the Holy Spirit and understand what that prophetic means for you personally. It's not just for the stage. It's for every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I don't know who you encounter in your week that needs that, but God's placed you there. Chase it. Chase it. It's, there's something beautiful over your spirit. The other person was this guy with great hair and a green shirt. This guy. Yep, you. <laughs> he knew he had great hair. I felt like God give me a scripture for you, which is Psalm 119 verse 105, which is, your word is a light to my feet and a lamp to my path. And I don't know what you're needing direction in right now or clarity on, but you don't have to see the whole road. You just have to see a step in front of you and his word is what will bring it to light. If you just get into the word of God and say, God, confirm what I'm meant to be doing right now. Give me clarity. His word will bring to light what you're meant to be doing. You don't have to see the whole pathway. Just one step is, is enough. Is that cool? Awesome. That's enough for me. If we could have a picture of my husband and me and my kids, that's Steve. And I have a 15-year-old boy called Ethan and a 13-year-old called Brooke. She is now taller than me. That's not fair. That photo was taken a year ago. I am now the officially the shortest in my family. Steve is four, six foot three, so there's probably a good reason. When I was preparing for this morning, I um, several years ago I had a picture that God gave me for the church. And it was as people walked into church, I saw them dragging a shield behind them. And if any of you have been around church long enough, Ephesians chapter 6 talks about the shield of faith. And I literally saw people coming into church, dragging their feet and dragging. Now shields, when Paul mentioned that shield, it would have been a massive Roman shield. It would have been their height. So when, you, when I talk about dragging a shield, it would have been a heavy thing that's meant to be up in front of you, but dragging it in. So as I was preparing this, for this message, I felt that same image. I feel there are people this morning who came into this place dragging your shield behind you. You've got your shield, but it's not in position. And I feel like my message this morning is simply this, one thing. I want to give you some things that are going to help you lift up your shield and reposition it where it belongs. So I know for me, whenever I need help keeping my shield where it is, because some of you are doing all right, you've got your shield in place, but you know what it's like to have your shield in place but be tempted to let it down. So for those of you who've got your shield in place this morning, yep, you picked it up in worship. Or you might have picked it up just as you walked into church. Or you might have had it up all week. There'll come a moment, possibly this week or possibly next month, where you'll feel that temptation to put it down on the ground and pick up something else. Or you'll have a temptation to try and throw it over your shoulder like a handbag. 
but it's a bit heavy to do that. It's not meant to do that. So that would suggest your shield's a little bit small. So as I, as I was saying, when I feel a sense that my shield is dropping or I need to keep some strength about holding it up, I go to the most familiar passage about faith, which is Hebrews 11, and I simply track through the amazing number of scriptures about people of faith. And then what I do is I go from one story, I'll find one story, Abraham or Moses or Enoch. And I'll go from that one story and I'll go back to the Old Testament or the New Testament and sit in that story until I feel faith come and infuse my heart. So as I was preparing for you, I did just that. I tracked through Hebrews 11 saying, God, speak to me from one of these scriptures. And this is the scripture that I got. Hebrews 11, verse 30. It was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days and the walls came crashing down. So we're going to sit in the story of Jericho this morning. And I'm going to unpack 10 things that I feel are significant about this story. But the very first thing I notice from that scripture in Hebrews is it doesn't mention the leader. It doesn't mention Joshua. See, in Hebrews 11, it actually says Abraham and Isaac, duh, and it mentions significant people. But when we get to this verse... It doesn't mention Joshua. And I believe this morning it's about the people of Uni Hill, not just Charles. It doesn't say it was by faith Charles saw the walls come down. It doesn't say it was the faith of Pastor Nick. See, we're having a transition of leadership and it's easy to go, oh no, Pastor Nick has faith, Charles doesn't. Pastor Nick has these gifts, Charles doesn't. Or what are, what are we going to do about this? Because Pastor Nick had this mantle. But this verse tells me that this new season, it's about the faith of Uni Hill people, not just Charles. And I love that this verse tells me that it was the people of Israel who marched around Jericho for seven days and the walls came crashing down. So yes, I'm speaking into the life of Uni Hill, but I also want to speak into your life personally. If I could have the next slide. This is my boy, Ethan. This is Ethan, he's 15. I'm living in the land of promise with my boy Ethan, he's a great kid. But 15 years ago, I gave birth to him and my very first Jericho as a mother was him in the ICU and the Jericho for me was the ICU crib. You can go to the next slide. For five days, I sat on the wrong side of Jericho. And you might be sitting here going, that's me. I know what it's like to sit looking at a situation that doesn't look like what God promised. You see, the people of Israel had moved across the Jordan into the promised land. And in the promised land, there's a city they have to conquer. And there would be many cities for seven years. It would take them seven years in the promised land to experience what it was to conquer city after city and have to do battle. You see, we think when we get to the promised land, it's going to be all sweet. No more battles. Promised land for me feels like freedom and all my promises coming true. But actually, God left the cities there. Why would God leave cities? Why would God leave the giants so he could teach them how to do battle? They just spent 40 years wandering around the wilderness, not having to fight anything. And God just giving them miracle after miracle after miracle. 
But at some point, right at the beginning of the promised land, God says, I want you to do this by faith. Four months into having Ethan come home, he was fine. He was perfect. He was my brand new baby. And I'm at a maternal and child health nurse appointment. And the nurse says to me, there's something not quite right. Now, I felt she was lying because my boy was perfect. But we ended up at the Royal Children's Hospital. We're living in Horsham at the time. And we were having an appointment with the top cranial surgeon, Dr. Tony Holmes, where he said these words over our boy. There's a condition. He has a condition called plagiocephaly. We're going to trial a helmet, but if a helmet doesn't work, we're going to have to reconstruct his skull. As a mum who lives by faith, talks faith, um, leads youth, we were leading a youth group at the time, and we would have to travel every week from Horsham to Melbourne, four hours each way, to take our boy. And in this time where God had promised us, we were declaring God is a God of miracles, God is a God of healing. We're sitting on the front row holding our boy with a helmet on his head, declaring who God is, but our reality was very different. When he was eight months old, I took that helmet off. You see, he had to wear it 24 hours a day, and I'd had enough. Now, don't do this. It's it's probably not the best advice. But I'd had enough, and I felt like God tell me that I needed to do something significant. So I took it off. See, Dr. Tony Holmes has said, we'll leave it for 12 months, and then we'll reconsider. So when he was eight months old, we took him down. When he was 12 months old, four months off this appointment, Dr. Tony said these words, he's perfectly fine, I don't need to see you anymore. Something happened between when he was wearing his helmet and when he was meant to take it off and there was a time discrepancy. But in that time, God had to teach me how to trust him, but I still had to keep putting that helmet on. What do you do between the promise and your reality? So let's go back to this story of Jericho. In chapter 5, we read, Once when Joshua was by Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing before him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you one of us or one of our adversaries? And he replied, Neither. As commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. The commander of the army of the Lord said to Joshua, remove the sandals from your feet for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua. We find Joshua at the walls of Jericho doing what a leader should do. Trying to work out what he should do to see these walls come down. What's he going to do to fight a a massive big city with a a couple of million people who've never fought a war in their life? And right in that moment, someone appears and he doesn't know even who he is. And I guess this morning I want to say Jesus can be right in your midst because it's the commander of the Lord's army. It's not just anybody who's come to see him. It's the commander of the Lord's army makes an appearance to him and Joshua doesn't recognize him. And I believe God is sending Jesus in our midst this morning to reveal himself even to those who don't recognize him. He wants to reveal himself to you in your Jericho. You see, he's right in the midst of a situation where he needs Jesus and Jesus reveals himself. 
But he says these words, take off your sandals, you're standing on holy ground. The walls hadn't come down, but it was holy. There's something significant for me in this story because it suggests to me that my Jericho, that very thing that I think is standing between the promise and me is sacred when Jesus makes an appearance. And will we recognize in that moment, Joshua falls to the ground and worships Jesus with Jericho still standing? Will you worship him when the walls are still standing? When the gates are still shut up, will you worship him? But Jesus says one more thing. He says, "Uh uh-uh, worship is not enough. You see, you stand in a service like this and say, you're holy God, but Jesus asks him for something else. He says, take off your sandals. You see, sandals in the Old Testament and in the New Testament in that time signified territory. So when you took off your sandals, you were saying, this land doesn't belong to me, it belongs to you. So when Boaz was having an exchange with the man about the property that he wanted that belonged to Ruth that would go to this man, the man had to take off his sandals to declare a contract, an exchange of territory. So when he took off his shoes and gave them to Boaz, he was saying, this land belongs to you. When Jesus went into a house, the people would take off their sandals to all the time. You'd walk into a house. You didn't take off your sandals just because they were dirty. You took off your sandals to recognize that this is your property. I honor this land belongs to you. So Jesus bends down and tells the disciples to take off their shoes. Now we see it and it's significant that he was washing their feet. But you know what else he was doing? He wasn't talking about physical land. He was saying, hey, take off your sandals. And as they took off their sandals, they were saying this, this life belongs to you. This marriage, it belongs to you. Jericho, Joshua takes off his sandals saying, God, this land is yours. But doesn't it belong to Joshua and the people of Israel? Hadn't God given them this land? Absolutely. And what does Jesus say? Take off your sandals. Give it back to me. This land doesn't belong to you, it belongs to me. There's this exchange where we've got these promises from God. We have promises about our marriage. We have promises about our finances. We have promises about our career. We have these things we're believing for. And right now, in this moment, he's saying, will you take off your sandals? Will you give it back to me? Will you surrender it to me so I can do what I need to do with that promise? We hold on to the dreams. We hold on to the promises as if they belong to us, but they were given to us by God. And we take off our sandals this morning and say, God... I don't know what to do to get there. All I feel is I'm locked on the other side of a Jericho. I don't know how to push through. But the first thing I want to do is say, this belongs to you. This career belongs to you. This pathway, this boss, whatever it is, it belongs to you. I take off my sandals. I acknowledge God, the promised land, that place where I want to be, it's yours. Will you surrender to him this morning? first thing, the second thing that's, that's really significant for me is when the commander of the Lord's army says this. It says, then the Lord said to Joshua, the Lord said is significant. What is God saying about you, Jericho? In the midst of all the dialogue and the noise of what you're hearing, feelings aloud, 
feelings are fickle. Gates and walls, they're loud. Gates and walls tell you it's impossible. Gates and walls shout really loud, you can't get through this. But you know what? This story reminds me that gates and walls are temporary, but God's word is eternal. Tether your life to the word of God, not temporary gates and walls. How many Christians stop on this side of the wall because they just see a closed door? Christians use this language all the time, God must have shut the door. Well, this story tells me that shut doors are not necessarily God's will. They suggest to me that shut doors and locked up gates and big high walls are no reason to not push through. Be very quiet. What does his word say? How often has a doctor said, there's nothing more we can do? Doesn't that sound like a shut up gate to you? But what does God say? He's a God of miracles. He's a God of the impossible. What are you going to tether your life to? What the doctor says or what God says? You're going to tether your life to a gate and a wall and a, and a city that's locked up or you're going to tether your life to what God says? Because I can tell you right now, God's word is eternal. It's everlasting and it will be fulfilled. This Jericho is shut up tight and the walls are high and the gates are locked. And the Lord said to Joshua, let his word be what you hear. Even Jesus tethered his life to the word of God. When, the, when Satan came to him saying, unless you do this, and what does Jesus do? It is written. It is written. It is written. What has God written about your Jericho? What is God saying about your Jericho? The second thing, the, sorry, the third thing that's significant, what you see is significant. The very first words that this commander says is, see. The Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. See Jericho with the eyes of faith. See, Joshua was looking at Jericho, but he wasn't seeing. And he says, see, what does he need to see? He needs to see in past tense. Because he says, see, in past tense, I have delivered Jericho, but Jericho is still standing there. Sometimes we need to look at our Jericho from the other side of the wall. See Jericho with the eyes of victory. See Jericho as, he says, see Jericho as I have promised, it belongs to you. What do you see in the natural? What do you see in the supernatural? God is bigger than any wall or any city gate that you see in the natural. The ark is significant. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. Every battle Israel faced requires an ark of the covenant. Why? What was so significant? The ark represented the presence of God. We talked about the presence of God this morning. But you know what? We think it's all about what happens in a service like this. You have the Holy Spirit everywhere you go. You take the Ark of the Covenant with you into every battle you face. The Ark contained three things. 
You guys are going into a new season. I can guarantee there's going to be cities that are going to come up and battles and giants are going to have to fall. Every battle requires the Ark of the Covenant. Every battle this church comes up against, it needs the Ark. It needs the presence of God. What did the Ark contain? It contained three things. It contained manna. As soon as they hit the promised land, they didn't need to go and get manna. They had to cultivate the land. But there was this bowl of manna that sat in the ark, which represented the miraculous provision of God. And I can promise you as a church, Uni Hill, the faith of Uni Hill is going to require the provision of God. There is no way you're going to be able to do what you need to do in this promised land without God's provision. But his promise is if you take his presence, there's provision flows. His blessing flows. The second thing was Aaron's rod. Aaron's rod was what they used back in Egypt to do all the miraculous things that they did. And it was sprouting, something that was impossible. It sat in the ark with fresh leaves on it. That is strange and weird and supernatural. And it represented the power of God. They were going into this battle knowing there was no way they could bring those walls down without the power of God. And this whole story is about the supernatural power of God. You need the presence of God that will bring the power of God. You're going to see miracles when you allow the presence of God to be manifest in your midst. The third thing that was in that ark was the law. Oh, but we don't live by the law anymore. It's by grace. You know what that law represented? God's governance, God's protection, God's righteousness, God's justice. You see, the manna represents for us his grace, but there's this also other side we like to ignore, which was who God is when he's just and righteous. But you know what? He's given us Jesus, his righteousness. He fulfills every part of the law. And when we fail, we can pick up that hand to Satan and go, take it to Jesus. I'm covered. But it also speaks of the governance of the, over this church. You know, this isn't Charles's church or Nick's church. It belongs to God. It's about coming under his lordship and his kingship. And while you take his presence and you entrust this church to his leadership, you watch what God can do when it comes to battles and cities and locked up gates. But that applies to your family as well, you see. When your family's under the lordship of Jesus Christ, you can expect his favor and provision in his presence. I believe when it comes to faith, we need to constantly remember who's lord of this house. Who's lord of this house He's king. He's in control. He's Lord. The next thing that's significant to me is the number seven. Am I going too quick? The number seven is significant. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. Have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward blowing their trumpets. When the Bible repeats something over and over again, you need to listen up. So when it says seven over and over again, the Bible's trying to make a point. Seven. What's so significant about seven? It's the number of completion until the work is complete. See, we give up on one. I don't want to walk around at, at, at Jericho just more than once. I get tired. I'm weary. I don't want to do it again. He says, go again. I don't want to forgive that person again. Go again. Oh, but I've already forgiven them once. 
what if it isn't a completed work? See, sometimes we, we, I, I've sat in counseling thinking that I've forgiven my dad. Oh, I've got this sorted. And he says, actually, not in this season, you haven't. So I go again and again and again, and I'll go as long as it takes to have a completed work where I know that thing is resolved. You can go to counseling three times, you've stopped on three. But you can go to... 10 times and still stop on three. It's about completion. What's it going to take until you know that you know that you know this work is complete, the walls are down. This number was teaching them to keep going and keep going until God says it's done. Naaman got told to go and dunk seven times. What would have happened if he dunked three? He wouldn't have been healed. He had to do it until seven. Why? Because God told him to. Do you know what? Stopping on three is partial obedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. That's harsh, Jen. That's a bit harsh. I walked around once. Wasn't that enough? You didn't finish what God asked you to do. There are so many Christians sitting in church with partial obedience in play. There are so many Christians in church sitting on this side of Jericho because they don't feel like walking around again, yet their dreams are on the other side and they've thrown them away and discarded them because it just got too hard. Pick up your shield and keep marching until the work is complete. Keep marching. Don't stop on four. Don't stop on five. Don't stop on six. How do you know when seven's around the corner? You don't. You just don't know when the walls will come down. So keep marching, keep marching, keep marching, keep marching, keep marching, keep marching. Church, keep marching. There are walls to come down in this city. There are gates that need to be unlocked. Don't give up on three, four, five, six. Keep going until the work is complete. The next thing that's significant is silence. I'm a Pentecostal. I've grown up in charismatic churches all my life. We all love the next point, which is about the shout. I like a good shout like any of you. But we far end underestimate the power of silence as Pentecostals. So I'm going to give you a little bit of homework you see, silence is significant not just to be quiet and have an internal dialogue. See, all the introverts, they might not verbally be, be loud, but they can ju have just as much loud going on in their head. So this is for the introverts and the extroverts. Because the introverts don't necessarily like the shout, but they love the six days. And all the extroverts like the shout, but they don't like the six days. But for both of you lot, because there are some of both in here, silence is significant for this reason. There was a sound that they needed to hear, and it was the sound of the trumpets. Jericho could hear one sound for six days, and it wasn't the sound of the Israelites. It was the sound of the trumpets. It was the sound of victory. If it was me walking around Israel, this is why God gives them instruction, don't talk. This would have been me. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. I've got blisters. I'm tired. This is too hard. How is possibly going to, how's this possibly going to work? How is Jericho going to, what was just Joshua thinking? I think I need to go and talk to Joshua. Joshua has no idea. Joshua thought he saw Jesus. No, he didn't see Jesus. He was having 
hallucinations. I want Moses back. I want Moses back. I want Moses back. That would have been me. So in this next season, as Charles takes over, this is going to be the temptation. What does Charles think he's doing that for? Why is he doing that? Oh, I want Pastor Nick back. I like Pastor Nick. He's really nice to me. Charles challenges me and makes me want to, you know, quit and go home. I've got blisters. I'm tired. I want to quit. I don't want to do this anymore. Do you know what God says to that? Shut up. Just keep your mouth shut and listen for the sound of heaven. I know I'm being funny, but I think it's serious. I think there would have been a million Jews saying, I want to go back to the wilderness. But even more that, I want to go back to Egypt because that's what they did. Murmur, complain and whinge and carry on. So Jesus, so what does God say? Tell her to be quiet. If your ears have not heard the trumpets, it's probably because you're talking too much. So quieten down the dialogue in your head. Quieten down your voice. And you know what the danger is when we start talking? We can infect the faith of others. And I'm speaking to the faith of Uni Hill today. And one of the most powerful things you can do is only allow things that come out of your mouth that aligns with the sound of the trumpets. And if your mouth is not aligning with the sound of the trumpets, shut your mouth. And I can say that because I'm not your pastor. The silence is significant. There's a sound being released across the earth. And when that sound happens, it's setting us up for the shout. And when that shout happens, when the first thing that comes out of your mouth aligns with the sound of heaven, it's going to bring supernatural earthquakes. The next thing that's significant is the sound of uh, is the uh, sound of heaven. Joshua six nine. All this time, the trumpets were sounding. The trumpets were giving a sound of victory. They were giving the sound of overcoming. They were giving the sound of joy. They were giving the sound of heaven. I wonder in your homes right now, what's the sound that you can hear in your home? Some of you are hearing the sound of conflict. Some of you are hearing the sound of resistance. Some of you are hearing the sound. And instead of trying to yell at your Jericho, trying to push your Jericho over, why don't you just be quiet and listen for the sound of heaven? God, what are you trying to say about this? Some of you need to be careful what you're listening to in your homes. It's really easy to switch on the radio and not realize that the sound is actually a disconnect with what God's trying to say. You leave the TV on and you just watch garbage or whatever and that sound is resounding in your home and you're wondering why there's a conflict. It's spiritual. It's not even physical. You can't even say what TV program it is. You just feel the, it's just the disconnect with what heaven's trying to say. So maybe just shut down that, you know, I as a mum, I have teenage kids. They're very loud. Lots of opinions. Lots of thoughts on how we should rule our home. And this is the age where watching parents go, it's too hard, I'll just let them do whatever they want. Excuse me, it's my home and I get to set the tone. So in the morning, there ain't no non-Christian music in my home at all. Sometimes late in the afternoons and evenings, that's different. But when I set the tone of my home in the mornings, we're going out into the day where they're going to be encountering non-Christian kids all day. I set the tone of my home. Thank you very much. They can do what they like when they leave my home. It's my home. The sound of heaven will resound in my home. When I hear conflict in our home, I'm a talker. I'm a verbal processor. 
I get it when all I want to do is talk to my kids and tell them how it is. And you know what I've had to learn? Shut your mouth and go to God and find out what he has to say about it. And then when the shout comes, it needs to align with heaven. Because the shout can come and it has come where it doesn't sound anything like heaven from my poor kids. I promise you, the same in my marriage. I had to learn that it doesn't really work when you tell your husband how it is. And I'm a talker, so I like to verbally process. I've had to go to God on stuff and go, God, what's your sound of it is? Your Jericho might be your marriage, and I feel like God's touching on it right now. You know, with my husband, you might, if you get to know him, he's a great leader. He's a really, really good at governance, and he's really wise. He's also an internal process. Seven years it took in my marriage for him to step up spiritually. So I came from a strong Christian home. My, pe- my dad was a really strong Christian man, and he led our home really well on some things. We were dysfunctional like everyone else. But on, from my experience, he was a strong leader in the home. My husband came from a home where his dad was an alcoholic, abusive, really abusive, and his mum was a Christian, and she led the home. No wonder he picked me as a wife. He was happy for me to lead. Happy as Larry for me to take the spiritual lead. The last thing I wanted was me to spiritually lead. So the conflict was quite strong. He was, he was leading a youth group, but in the home, he didn't do anything spiritually. I knew he prayed. I knew he read his Bible. But as far as us, nothing. And we get men and women coming to us all the time. I want my man to lead. Well, the first thing is step back and let him lead and let him make lots of bad decisions. And don't complain about it because you asked him to lead. Because we're really good at saying I want him to lead. But as soon as he does anything, you pick on him. So he's going to shut up and back off. That's just a tip bit, you know. Like Every night before we went to bed, I would grab his hand and I would pray. Now, I, wasn't, I couldn't possibly pray deep prayers. He would have fallen asleep as I prayed. So I had to make it really shallow and really short. And I would grab his hand and pray, Dear God, thank you for a nice day. Help us have a good sleep. Amen. It was pretty much like that. But inside my prayer was this, God, one day he's going to grab my hand and he's going to initiate this and I won't ever have to do it again. Day in, day out for seven years. I kept marching. I kept marching because I could see the promise that this man was going to lead my home. Do you know why my husband's a great leader? Because I kept marching. Because I kept marching and I watched him step up and lead our home. Around our table at night when we sit together as a family, he's the one who pulls out the Bible and reads to our kids. Do they enjoy it? Absolutely not. They're teenagers. And does my husband read with a monotone voice? Probably. But who am I to complain about my husband pulling out the Bible and reading to my kids? Because one day I was lying in bed grabbing his hand and praying, God, thank you for a nice day. Help us to sleep and help us to have a nice day tomorrow. Amen. There is someone who needs to hear this today. Keep marching. His mum prayed for 26 years, 26 years for his dad to become a Christian. What if she'd given up on five years? What if she'd given up at 20 years? What if she'd simply gone, this is too hard, given up and gone and joined in? He wouldn't have been a Christian today. Keep marching. Jericho is not all about the shout. How are we going for time, Charles? Number eight, the united shout is significant. 
When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. We like to focus on the shout, but we don't focus on the united shout. And I want to focus on the united shout this morning. You see, we all have something to say, but what about the united shout? What's the sound of Uni Hill when they come to shouting? It was a united sound. One voice out of kilter with the rest of the voices is division. Two visions. Just one voice out of... It's learning to align the sound in this room and in this community with one sound. That's supernatural. How's that even possible? The whole book of Ephesians is based on that. One body, one spirit, one Lord, one body, one body, one body. Not many parts, but one body. The focus is unity. The sound of unity, the sound of unity. The enemy doesn't want unity. (coughs) The enemy will do anything he can to bring disunity in this house. Anything he can. He'll use you. Why do you need to keep your mouth shut? Because as soon as you open your mouth and it's not in alignment with the sound of heaven, we have disunity. One sound. The enemy will use you to divide the sound and disperse the power. One sound. I'm speaking to the people of Uni Hill brought down the walls of Jericho. One sound. One sound. One sound. Does that mean you have to agree with anything? No. But the sound is unity. You can disagree and have disunity. You can disagree and have unity. How are you going to disagree and still have unity? Take personal responsibility for the unity of this house. The next thing that's significant to me is devotion. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it. That suggests to me that if they were going to go into the city and destroy it, they would have had to have their swords out and their shields up. But they devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing. What they did with the city and how they plundered the city was significant. In the process of taking dominion of the promised land, don't let the waters get muddied. AI failed because just one couple took something that belonged to God and took it for themselves. There are some things in this, people in this room, you're withholding what belongs to God. There are others of you that are messing with murky waters and things that God says you're not to touch that, you're touching. It's part of the culture that's cursed and you're actually messing with it and God's saying, enough. Don't touch things that have been devoted to other gods, but don't withhold things that have been devoted to me. Devotion is significant. You want Jericho go... Jericho to come down, it's not all about the shout. It's what happens when you take down what God has given you. The last thing is grace is significant. I wonder if the band can come. Grace is significant. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who were with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies. I wonder if a thousand people had come into her house I think they would have all been saved. Because it says everyone in her house was saved. 
this this part of the story, and I can't spend a lot of time on this part of the story because it's it's got its own story. But Rahab is a story of grace. It's a story of her faith in God. God graced her with rescue and redemption and all her household. And I believe this house, doesn't matter who comes in this doors, they're covered by grace. This, if a thousand, let's see if we can fit a hundred thousand in here and they'll be redeemed and saved. If it's just one, if it just been Rahab, she would have been saved, but it was her whole household. So anyone who was in that house where the, where the cord was hung down, they were saved. It's a story of grace. It doesn't matter where you came from. She's written into this amazing story. She was Boaz's mum. She was Ruth's mother-in-law, which means the line of Ruth's grandson was King David. The, the long line goes down to Jesus. She's written into the storyline of Jesus, Rahab. Rahab has been written into the story to say, you've been written into that story too. When you have faith in God, grace has been given to you to write you into his story of history. By faith, by faith, Uni Hill. It was by faith that the people of Uni Hill marched around Jericho for seven days and the walls came crashing down. I wonder what your Jericho is this morning. I want to do something with, you can stand with me for a minute. I want to do two things. I want to pray for people today. But before we do, I've asked the band to play. And I want to ask you to do something this morning. I want you to keep your mouth shut, which is hard when you know the song. I want you to keep your hands by your side. If you want to do anything, you can march, because that's what they did. They marched around Jericho. And I've asked the band to make a sound. It's the sound of heaven. And I want you to listen. I don't want you to sing. I don't want you to just, you'll be tempted to sing and you'll be tempted to bring voice, because that's what we're being taught to do. And for seven days, they had to keep marching. So it requires you today and however long it takes for completion to not talk about your Jericho, to not allow, not allow a sound out of your mouth that doesn't allow a line with heaven. So you're going to go out and have coffee out there and someone's going to ask you about something with your life and you're going to want to talk about your Jericho. But I'm asking you not to talk about your Jericho. See, after they circled Jericho, they went back to their families and talked about everything else, but... They had to, in the context of Jericho, when they were marching around Jericho, they had to be quiet. So when it comes to your Jericho, you can talk about everything else, but when it comes to your Jericho, so the first thing I want you to do is identify the promise of God that you're believing for, but what is that Jericho? It might be in your health. It might be in your business. You're believing for something. Someone here, it could be the banks have said, we're not going to give you any money. And you're like, God, you promised your provision and we're not seeing it. And the bank can be your Jericho. And it's for seven days, it might be 14 days, but I'm giving you seven, something practical until next Sunday morning. For seven days, I'm not going to open my mouth, but the first time I open my mouth about Jericho is when I'm standing here next Sunday and the praise begins. And I'm believing next Sunday, breakthrough is going to come. I'm believing from the moment your worship team gets up here, the first sound that comes out of your mouth is going to be the sound of praise that aligns with that. And I'm believing all this week, God, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to pray about it. I'm going to listen for the sound of heaven. This week, I'm putting worship music on. This week, I'm listening for your voice. This week, I want to know what you're saying about my Jericho. I don't want the noise of that Jericho. To, and I'm believing for breakthrough over your life. Today, I'm going to pray. I don't want you to tell me what your Jericho is, but I want you to, you to tell me what's significant. I gave you 10 things that are significant about this story. 
and one of them would have resonated with you. And all I'm going to do is declare the sound of heaven over you. And the team are going to do that. They're not going to pray for your Jericho. They're going to pray for you to hear the sound of heaven. The other thing I'm believing this morning is there's someone here who's never met Jesus like Joshua met Jesus. You might be standing at the edge of the promised land having no clue what this promised land even looks like, but it looks more hopeful hopeful than the wilderness that you've just been through. And today can be your day. And when I come and pray for people, I'm going to get Charles to invite you to come and encounter Jesus. But just before you come, I want you to stand there. You can come straight away, but as the band begin to play, I've asked them to play with a a prophetic edge to what they do this morning. But you don't have to join them. Let's go. You can come. What's the Lord saying to you this morning? Jericho this morning. 